Welcome to the Live Your Dance podcast. My name is Molly King, and I'm a former corporate working girl turned author, dancer, and coach. Each week, we come together to celebrate someone who has found their metaphorical dance and listen to their insights in order to inspire you to find and live your dance. Thanks again for tuning in and joining me today. Now, let's dance. What up, what up? I'm super excited to bring you this episode with Marissa Hamamoto. She has a story unlike anyone I've ever heard. She was going after a dance career, became paralyzed, regained her mobility, and is now even more motivated to bring dance to those who have otherwise been deemed incapable of dancing. She started a company, the first professional wheelchair dance company called Infinite Flow. And I mean, her whole story is pretty incredible. So I'm going to just let you get into it. And here's Marissa Hamamoto. Welcome to Live Your Dance. I am here with Marissa Hamamoto, and she and I recently connected. I'm so excited to bring you her story today. She is a professional ballroom dancer, actress, speaker, and now founder of Infinite Flow, which is a wheelchair dance company that she started herself and has had some amazing success. She is touching the lives of so many people. Her story is amazing. She's incredible, and I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Thank you so much, Marissa, for being on. Thank you so much for having me, Molly. Of course. Oh, man. Well, I can't wait to dive in. This has been such a perfect segue into Live Your Dance and what we're all about over here. And on the other side of it, I was telling you when we first started connecting, I'm, I was actually looking recently for a place to volunteer with wheelchair or handicap or to be able to give back in some way in this community that I'm in right now. And then you popped up and it was like a beautiful coalescing of interests and and commonalities and so I'm just really grateful this were all worked out well synchronicity happens everywhere very true very true well just for my listeners who maybe aren't familiar with you or your story would you mind giving us a little background on you know how you grew up dancing and then your transition into what you're doing now and what that big moment of change was for you uh, so I started dancing when I was six years old, uh, mostly ballet and a little bit of modern dancing. And when I was a teenager, I continued to pursue a professional ballet career. I thought ballet was it and, um, you know, went to some prestigious ballet schools and was really, really, really um, into ballet. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. Um However, um, I was really just not made for ballet altogether. I didn't have the body and I didn't have a lot of the physical requirements that ballet needed. And um, so I, I auditioned for ballet companies, but never, it, you know, my dream to be this great professional ballerina never became anything. Um, and so, you know, long story short, I tried to pursue it for a couple years after high school, but without success, I decided to go back to college. 
Okay. I chose to go to college in Japan. I went to a university called Keio University. I, um, you know, went to school to Japan to hopefully transition out of a dance career. But instead, um, I couldn't let the dancing go. And outside of school and part-time work, I continue to dance in any capacity I can. I continue to take ballet class. I continue to just take every single performance opportunity more as a contemporary dancer at that time um, as I possibly can. And by the time senior year came around, um, I was I had a full school schedule. Uh, working probably about 20 hours a week part-time and then also dancing on top of that almost every day and um, I actually thought I was really on my path to being to becoming this professional dancer finally Um, and when things were I when things were actually going well I thought um, in the middle of a contemporary dance class um, I felt my elbows tingle you know, one moment and the next moment I collapsed onto the floor. Wow. And a couple minutes later, I realized that I couldn't move my arms or my legs. I lost sensation all over. And then I realized that I was paralyzed from the neck down. The next day, I was diagnosed with a rare neurological disease called spinal cord infarction and was told by the doctor that I may never walk again. And in that moment, I really thought my life was over, not because um, not because I, I couldn't walk, but not being able to walk meant no more dancing. And, you know, for me, dancing was everything. It's what I live, what I breathe. Even when I was going, you know, even in, even in college classes in which we're studying things non-dance related, I would somehow relate it to dance and write all these reports and research papers connecting it to dance. So (laughs) the moment that, you know, the doctor told me this diagnosis, I, you know, really thought my life was over. So, you know, I did live kind of a dark period in the hospital for a while. I, I was just, you know, I mean, if I were to use one word to how I felt. I was depressed and, and I, I felt hopeless and I um, didn't really understand why this all happened. At the same time, I blamed it. I put a lot of blame on myself that I did something wrong. Hmm. And But um, there was still a, something inside of me said, saying that I, I'm a dancer and no matter what the situation is, I was going to figure out a way to dance. Hmm. Even if it was from a wheelchair. Awesome. And because up until that time, I was already fighting to dance constantly, you know, um, whether it's, you know, overcoming all these rejections from auditions or just, you know, dealing with my body, which I thought never, you know, would respond to all dancing I was doing. Um, I just felt like the fight was just continuing in the the hospital. And all I did all day, you know, was just, I just continued to imagine myself dancing. And, um, you know, I fast forwarding a little bit, um, and we can dive back to the details there later. Sure. Um, I walked out of the hospital two months later. Wow. Um, and it, it was definitely a miracle. Even the doctors were shocked that my recovery was 
so fast and the fact that I even recovered at all. Yeah. However, the doctor also warned me that even if I do regain my mo- my mobility, that there was a chance that I may, may become paralyzed again. That he does not, he didn't know if this was going to stay permanent or if the paralysis was going to reoccur. So for a while, I lived in a lot of fear. Yeah. I was, you know, uh, traumatized. Um, and I went through, um, I never got diagnosed with this, but I went through PTSD. I went through um, a lot of trauma and thinking that this was going to happen again. I had nightmares of the whole episode happening again. Um, the dance studios, uh, because I became paralyzed when I was dancing, going near the dance studio itself was scary. I, yeah. I could not bring myself to the dance studio without like my heart throbbing. So it actually took, even though I walked out of the hospital after two months, it actually took me another three years to be okay with the fact that I'm okay. Wow. And that was when I discovered ballroom dancing okay. and, um, and fell in love with it. <laughs> And five years later, um, you know, I find myself, oh, my gosh, I'm now a professional ballroom dancer. I'm actually doing this for a living. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, you know, achieved my goal of becoming a professional dancer. And it was about a year ago that I decided um, as a way of giving back my love of dance to those who still can't walk. Um, I created Infinite Flow, which is America's first professional wheelchair ballroom dance company. Wow. So that's kind of like my story, kind of in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but that in and of itself is incredible and just tremendous that you were able to not only regain your mobility, but overcome that trauma and the PTSD from the event and continue on. Do you feel like the fear is still there or have you truly overcome it and left it behind or what, what's going on there mentally with that? That's a good question. Um, I definitely have let go of the fear that this paralysis was going to happen again. However, a couple things. Uh, one is, you know, we all have to be careful of our health. You know, even if it's not the paralysis, we need to take care. We all need to take care of ourselves so that we are always healthy and that we are able to do what we seek to do without having to deal with the health problem. So True. I think, I think I've definitely become more health conscious. No, I should say. Uh, so like the trauma is gone, but you know, my left hand Part of my left hand is still slightly paralyzed. Uh, there's a part of my left hand that does not function or move how I want it to be, and it doesn't really affect me on, on the daily on the daily life scale. Occasionally, when I try to pick up something really small, um, I feel like it gets a little tensed up. But besides that, there's not much. But it's a reminder that. Yeah. You know, because it, it, even though it doesn't affect me, I still like, you know, when I move my hands, it, I can feel uh, that, oh, okay, there's a part of that hand that, that's just not responding. Um, there's a reminder there of mm. my paralysis. And I, you know, I can look at it either as, oh my gosh, maybe it's still there. Maybe the, the spinal cord infarction is still there. I can look at it 
that way or I can be like, okay, this is just a reminder to be thankful every day Yes. that um, I'm healthy, that I'm on my feet, that I'm dancing and, um, and that, you know, to, to be health conscious all the time. <laughs> so yeah. kind of look at, you know, it's, it's, you know, the paralysis still kind of lives in this hand, or, you know, as a reminder, but it's, it's actually a good thing. Yeah. I love that you've chosen to look at it that way instead of using it as a crutch to maintain fear. That's really beautiful. I'd love to dive in, if you don't mind, to your two months in the hospital and your mental environment, let's call it. What was one of your biggest challenges during that time mentally and how did you overcome it? I think one of the biggest challenges um, was definitely the first few days like it was really really hard to go you know I I was hopeless you know I I mean I was in that state of oh my gosh I'm not going to be able to move for my entire life and going from there to okay I can get better every day um making that transition was a pretty big leap at first uh to be really honest with you um I, I was carried to the hospital in a taxi cab, not a, not an ambulance. Really late at night. This was in Tokyo. Emergency rooms, I would say, are not as emer- not as like let's say equipped to respond as it is here. Okay. I uh, you know I was I I waited in the waited in the hospital for two hours before they even saw me, and I was able to feel my body deteriorate. You know, during those two hours, going, you know, I was starting to like lose, and I'm not sure if it was a physical thing or even more of a mental thing in which it's just anxiety. Um, but I thought that I was starting to really lose it, and then, then they uh, they initially diagnosed me that I was lacking calcium, hmm. and we're gonna just send me home in another taxi cab. Oh, jeez. Was when I told them, look. I can't, I can't, I can't even get out off of this bed alone. There's something wrong with me. Yeah. At least let me stay until tomorrow morning and can a specialist see me? And so, you know, after screaming and screaming and like, you know, th- thankfully I was able to talk. Um, yes. They let me stay and they left me, you know, in a, in a hospital bed in a dark room. And honestly, uh, when I closed my eyes um, on that bed, I, I thought I was going to die. I mean, I was literally starting to see these clouds and my family. And I mean, at that moment, I thought, oh, my gosh, I think this is the end of my life. Whoa. You know, and I, you know, again, I'm in bed. I can't move anything. And I don't even feel the sheets on my, on my body because mm. I felt sensation. So anyway, I, I, from there, interesting enough, I guess I fell asleep. I woke up the next morning. My contacts were still in my eyes. And because having contacts in your eyes overnight is yeah. excruciating, yeah. I up in pain. Yeah, I've done <laughs> that too. The fact that I was able to feel pain meant, meant to me, oh my gosh, I'm alive. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, it was it was very surreal. I mean, I it's kind of a blur from there. And in the next, you know, and what happened after I woke up, I can't remember. I just remember screaming for help. Hmm. And you know, I think the I one of the eye doctors in the hospital, you know, took the contacts out of my eyes and um washed my eyes and 
and then I think they put me, they, they took me to the neurological department and we did a bunch of tests, you know, before the diagnosis. Anyway, so at first everything was just like negative. Let's put it this way. And I really thought I did something wrong in my life that this all happened. Um, it was my fault. And then, you know, paralysis, it wasn't just mobility, but for example, my organs were also halfway shut down. Um, so in other words, if I, you know, my brain will say, okay, I want to go pee. You're right. <laughs> and so the nurse will take me to the bathroom. She would place me on the toilet, you know, pull my pants down, pull my underwear down. I would sit there but nothing would come out. Right. And that's where I think um, if, if this situation continued, uh, I think catheters would have probably come into play. But, you know, at that time, I was just, I remember just sitting on the toilet forever. And it would maybe, you know, I, I remember, I think the first time I sat on the toilet, I think it took a whole half an hour until something came out. Wow. And it was really scary. You know, just, I mean, basic functions, not being able to do what you're used to being able to do. I, I, exactly. And that was when I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought, you know, going to pee was going to be such a crazy project. Um, so this bathroom drill was, you know, because we all go to the bathroom, what, like at least like six, seven times a day. And even though you know, I'm going through this thing, I still need to go to the bathroom six, seven times a (laughs) day. And so this bathroom drill became like a huge ordeal for me because I'm spending like close to two, two, three hours a day in the bathroom. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, am I really going to have to deal with this my whole life? But then I realized, wait a minute here, something is coming out. It takes maybe 20, 30 minutes until something comes out, but something is coming out. Yeah. Uh, and that was actually when I switched my mindset going, okay, I'm okay. I, you know, things are just functioning a little bit slower than usual for whatever reason. Wow. And um, that was actually when a light bulb actually went up saying, okay, today it, it took 20 minutes, maybe tomorrow it'll, it'll take 19 Hmm. So, um, and I'm not sure why, you know, the nurses never offered a catheter or, you know, another means of urinating. But um, yeah. anyway, putting that aside, I started timing myself, you know, in the bathroom. You know, uh, in Japan, you, like all these toilets are pretty um, fancy and electronic. Right. I've heard. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> there's like these toilets that shoot water so that you can clean your your um, various body parts and um Right. And anyway, it's very digital. So there's a clock on there and you can see <laughs> what time you sat on the toilet. So so I started timing myself literally on how long it would take to urinate. And I noticed that it's not, you know, it, the, the time was becoming shorter. Wow. And that was when I said, oh, you know what? There's progress here. That's awesome. It, so that was when, you know, I went from the total negative, oh my gosh, this, you know, my life is over and this is hopeless to, okay, things are recovering. You know, I think, you know, I, I, I had learned, you know, four years prior to, um, this incident when I hurt my back, um, that sometimes 
pain is a teacher or like these these physical ailments can be a teacher you know, there's there's something here that I'm here to learn you know and mm-hmm. let's stay positive you know you're getting better you know minute by minute um and the bathroom you know this whole bathroom ordeal is proof wow. so um and then that was when I think I said okay let's do the best you can to stay positive, to continue to, I, I like, I think I not, you know, naturally started really just all day thinking about dancing. That's all I did. You know, I just about imagine myself dancing and just, you know, imagine, you know, doing the things I love and, you know, dancing was number one. So, uh, and then, you know, I, and I have to say I was lucky, you know, I, I was able to, you know, regain much of my mobility and uh, the funny thing is to this day i i'm like whenever i do go to the bathroom um it's like almost like a race to get out <laughs> <laughs> well i bet. i mean there's something now in you that's a little trigger but that is i mean we take some of these little basic functions for granted all the time yeah take something like that to bring it back into perspective like man every day things function and i'm not controlling it and how amazing is that I can yeah I understand I haven't lived it but I can understand it so that's Uh, just adding one more thing please Uh, so I was actually able to stand and take a couple steps I would say after about four weeks three to four weeks I was actually able to stand and take a couple steps and that was kind of when I knew okay I'm really on my road to recovery. Yeah. And that was when I was sent to physical therapy, occupational therapy. Um, Occupational therapy was actually a little bit bigger of a deal because my hands were the last things to move, Hmm. um, being affected at the C6 level. But I, I really thought going through, you know, a bunch of standardized, I was exercises you know if you want if you want to label them you know in therapy I really thought it was not enough Hmm. you know in dancing we don't just do knee lifts you know we think about how to lift that knee you know is it you know like is it in a circle is it in a you know what's the speed what's the timing what's the rhythm you know what's the emotion behind it you know just lifting one finger or knee you go through all these different senses to make that happen and you can lift your knee 10 times different ways and so the moment rehab started or like therapy started um and realizing that this was just not enough uh I started to really dance all the all everything that you know I was given to do whether it was squeezing a ball with my fingertips um uh, lifting my elbows, uh, moving my shoulders. I, I really, you know, I didn't have a headset with music going on, you know, I think at that time, but I consciously danced every single move. And I, you know, I don't have scientific evidence, but I do think that made a difference in my physical recovery. I, have no doubt. And I think the evidence is the way that you have come through it. I mean, that is scientific evidence on one level. And I actually recently saw a video, I'll put it in the show notes of a man who 
gosh, I can't remember the name of the disease that he was working through, but through dance, he was able to also overcome it. And I'm sure there are many, many stories like that. So I'm not surprised, but that is amazing and powerful to think about that little shift of just changing the movement from being a move without any context to putting mm-hmm. some dance behind it and how that helped bring you back into fuller, more mobility until you were able to be fully mobile. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's incredible. How did you deal with kind of a negative environment that seemed to me what I would think is people expecting you to stay sick and how did you maintain a positive mindset when it seemed like there was so much negativity around you? Um, yes, I, I did share a room with three other patients. So there's four beds total. Okay. And, you know, I was there for two months, which is a long time. And there was definitely a lot of rotation. Um, rotation meaning, you know, there's people, you know, patients coming in and out. Sure. Of time. And... One thing, you know, my my mother was pretty much there, I would say, from day, I think she came in day five from, my mother lives lives in Orange County, and she flew out, so she was there from day five, so my mom was pretty much there with me every single day, and that was a blessing. She kept me company, we know we got to catch up, you know, and, um, you know, other family members did visit. Definitely, you know, I don't, I don't know what kind of, you know, diseases or reasons, uh, diseases people have around me, you know, occasionally I would hear, you know, the disease name and, and, you know, you can see that they're all going through a lot, Mm -hmm. but I have to also say that in terms of a positive environment, the nurses were great at this hospital, Mm. you know, they were probably around my age. Yeah. (laughs) around and we would talk about things a 24 year old would talk about (laughs) sure yeah so that was one um and I think also just in a way hospital life really slowed down my life you know prior to prior to the paralysis my life was kind of hectic and crazy um yeah you had a lot going on yeah there was a lot there was definitely a lot going on and I was doing too much and stressing out and I didn't know how to um, deal with my stress. Um, I was, and I was not, you know, eating properly. I was not sleeping, um, much. I was overworking, um, trying to overachieve beyond, you know, anyone's, anyone could imagine. And, um, and, you know, and I was very, um, like, you know, my attitude toward my dancing was always a fight too. Hmm. You know, it was never like, okay, let's enjoy the dancing. It was like a constant, like, fight and a battle rather than enjoying or even appreciating the dancing altogether. So um, the fact that hospital life just slowed down my life altogether, it really uh, just gave me a chance to kind of really reflect on my situation and my life. And, um, and, you know, and my mother and I, I guess, you know, we, we looked at the experience as a positive time in our, in my life to really reflect and really, you know, kind of, uh, make some smarter choices Hmm. in health and in the way I live, 
one thing, this might be a little off topic. Go for it. Yeah, one thing that really hit me hard, you know, and this has to do with the hospital environment, is I was in the hospital for two months. And the only people that really visited were my mom, my dad, and, you know, and a couple other family members, one school professor, and one kind of distant friend. And, you know, at this time, yes, there were cell phones in 2006. Yes. <laughs> uh, maybe, you know, not, not the crazy smartphones that we have today, but, you know, we still had cell phones and texting, you know, texting and messaging was a pretty big thing in Japan. Yeah. But during that time, you know, not one person texted or messaged me. Marissa, where are you? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it just happened to be summer break, you know, during school. So I was lucky to not miss classes or exams. But it really made me go, oh, my gosh, no one really cares about me. Wow. And I also knew that though, that, that was my fault. And just long story short, I had made a decision when I was 15 years old, freshman in high school, after being betrayed by a good friend of mine for a school project to that I don't need friends anymore. I can live life without friends. Uh, after freshman year, I actually chose to homeschool for a year before going off to ballet schools. Um, I mean, and that's how much I was like, you know what, I don't need a social life. I don't need friends. I can live alone. Nine years later, here I am in the hospital realizing, feeling very lonely, very isolated, wanting some social, you know, yeah. some social, um, want, wanting like to socialize. Connection. Yeah. And realizing that I don't have a single friend, you know, and that that's not exactly what I wanted. Towards maybe about like week six or week seven, toward the end of my hospital stay, when I was, you know, starting to physically feel stronger and I was occasionally, you know, allowed to take a walk outside of the hospital with my mother, hmm. there was a girl about my age who came in. And I can't remember what kind of condition she had, uh, but she was there for maybe four days at the most. Okay. And um, and every day she had like like a tribe of friends <laughs> coming in, you know, giving her presents and you know and cookies and cakes and balloons and cards and I mean it was like a party next wow. door. Wow. And. It was like a difference. It was like not just, it was like throughout the day too. And for like, you know, she was there for four days. And out of the four days, you know, a good three of them, she had people coming in and out of there, you know. And I became jealous of that. Interesting. It was also very disturbing. <laughs> I bet. And it was also like, you know, it's, it, I was battling, you know, what the decisions I had made and what I really wanted. And, and then, you know, then she was gone, and I felt relieved for a moment. Sure. And then across the bed, uh, another, uh, then another girl, maybe a few years older than me, but still young in her 20s, came in um, on the bed across from where mine was. She didn't have a tribe of friends coming in every day, but she had one boyfriend who was there with her all the time. Hmm. Then again, me having, not having been in a real relationship at all during, you know, during my whole life till then, um, I was, I started to really wonder, 
oh my gosh, I, I really am alone here. And that was actually when, 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 when these social things started to bother me, that was actually when I said, okay, I think it's time to leave the hospital. I think it's, I think I'm physically well enough to, you know, obviously it's not, it's not, I mean, up until then it was about the physical battle. It was about, oh my God, you know, let's, let's try to move this knee. Let's try to move this toe. Right. Uh, then now my focus became other things suddenly. So it was also an indication to me, okay, time to leave the hospital. Interesting. Okay. And so that was actually when I asked the doctor, how long, you know, could I, do I need to really stay here? Could I leave here in a few days, you know? So, and that's actually when he was actually saying, you know, you're not quite ready yet, but if you feel like, you know, but, you know, rehab is in different forms. If you feel like you're ready to, you know, get out of here, then you may. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what would you say as you left the hospital, what were some of the biggest shifts that you made either in your perspective of dance or like you said, your social life? What were some of the big changes mentally that you saw yourself starting to go through? Definitely, I was going to figure out a way to get back into dancing. Okay. And I didn't know how, but I wanted a social life. And I had no idea how I was going to go about doing that. Because <laughs> again, <laughs> for nine years, I spent avoiding making friendships. Wow. So I didn't know, I didn't know how this was, these two things were going to happen, but I was going to say, I was going to figure out, how, uh, I made a commitment to myself that I will have friends and I will have a dance career. <laughs> <laughs> Which so, I, I love yeah. because I think a lot of people are in, you know, not necessarily the same situation, but there are times when we feel that craving for a kind of lifestyle or like you said, social lifestyle or career lifestyle. And just that idea that you said, I committed to getting these things, even though I had no idea how, that to me is a huge shift in the game that I'm sure put you on a different path. And then I assume as we're speaking here and you do have a dance company and you are doing all these things, I assume you have been able to get those things. But did you find, especially socially, since you hadn't done that in so long, did you find that difficult and uncomfortable? And and how did you get yourself into a social life? So uh, I left the hospital on a high. Because I went through all this trauma, I actually went really south for maybe close to almost three years. But again, I there was still a light inside of me that said, okay, I'm going to figure out my dance career. Yeah. And and I'll figure out friends afterward was kind of okay. like, I think. <laughs> Secondary. Um, long story short, I when I discovered salsa and ballroom in January 2010, I realized that everything I wanted was in these dances. Mm. So we call, you know, salsa ballroom dancing also social dancing. Yeah. And it's social dancing because, you know, I guess back in the day and maybe probably even today, um, you know, people go out dancing to meet people Absolutely. and to make friends. Absolutely. And so I knew, I mean, there's a couple of things that attracted me about salsa, uh, salsa and ballroom. And um, how I came across salsa was at a New Year's party. And uh, as part of the new party's entertainment, they had a salsa couple come in, perform, and then he got up after the performance and said, okay, now it's your turn to dance. 
and showed us the basic salsa step, which is a very si simple six-step pattern. And I saw the entire room go crazy and have such an amazing fun time just doing these six steps over and over again. Yeah. And me being in the crowd, looking around, going, oh my gosh, people are going crazy over these six steps and having so much fun. I, I thought that there was something in there for me. Yeah. And up until that time, I I was already a dance advocate. Um, I was doing a lot of research in, in dance biomechanics and dance education at school, even though I was not quite dancing. And I always felt like, I, even, even though I wasn't really dancing, I had this constant voice at school trying to get you know, these, all these academic professors' attention towards dance. And something about the fact that there was a crowd of people around me at this party that were non-dancers having a great time dancing really inspired me. And that week, I took my first salsa class, got thrown in a class of non-dancers, and partnering, you know, being in contact with these guys that I don't even know. And something yeah. That was just comforting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I found everything I wanted, you know, inside of a salsa and ballroom. And if you don't mind my interjecting just to nerd out a little bit with you. Well, one thing is that January of 2010 was when I started my partner dancing career as well. So it's so fun to know that we were... <laughs> On the same path. Actually, I go to a lot of Tony Robbins events and I, I do a lot of work with his programs and he talks about the six human needs. And if we meet three of three of the six in any activity, that's what hooks us. And and between those six human needs, they're kind of opposites. There's variety and there's certainty. There's connection and significance and then growth and contribution. And for me, dance hits all six. So no wonder I'm hooked. And I'm sure for you, it's similar. When yeah. people talk about dancing, it's it's like you said, the connection, it's the activity, it's the challenge mentally and physically, and it's the expression and the fact that it's never the same. Like It meets all of those qualifications, which I think creates an atmosphere of we are constantly fed in all of our needs for whatever it is. And so how amazing to be able to find it with other people. And then you all automatically start to have this tribe and community of like-minded dance nerds who just can't get enough. And mm -hmm. you're staying up till like five in the morning, just like you said, doing these six steps, which is so simple and yet brings so much joy. It's, it's incredible. It's an amazing, it makes no sense logically, but it totally makes sense emotionally and to the rest of us, <laughs> which I love. Yes, uh, amen. <laughs> but sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off, but I had to put that in there. And so salsa was kind of like you said, your your first, we'll call it first hit until you got hooked. Mm -hmm. well, yes, uh, salsa was, I took my first salsa class, you know, right after this New Year's party. I started YouTubing, um, you know, salsa and then, you know, came out, you know, and, you know, at that time, I didn't really know the difference between salsa or ballroom or swing or any of these partner dances, um, sure. how they were categorized by industry. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I led to some ballroom videos. Um, ballroom is huge in Japan. Um, really? Huge. Yes. It's a very, 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 very big um, thing. There, so there's ballroom dance studios all over the, all over Tokyo, all over the country, and so I was very lucky. I found um, 
one of the top studios in Japan to take me in as an apprentice with, you know, I had absolutely no training, um, you know, was very out of shape and nowhere near looking like a dancer when I walked into the studio, but Mm. they thankfully believed in me, you know, took me on and um, I got my initial certification training from this wonderful dance studio in Japan. Wow. And, you know, then about a year later, I, due to, you know, various reasons, I, I chose to go back to Southern California where my parents were. And I continued uh, dancing. Uh, and it's been about, it's been about five years since I started this whole journey. So wow. um, almost six years, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost the new year. So yes. That's incredible. How have you seen yourself transform from pre-paralysis to now? I'm definitely a lot more appreciative of what I have. I think we all go through taking things for granted. And I go through that too. I sometimes forget how lucky and and great, you know, lucky I am. But definitely the paralysis, like, you know, I, I do feel like, the you know, I think about the paralysis on a daily basis almost. It's like a reminder of how grateful I am of what I do. And I think it's also taught me like things fall into place when they need, when they are supposed to. Mm. I was not ready to be a professional dancer when I was 18. I was not ready to be a professional dancer when I was 24 and became, you know, and, and went through the paralysis. But I was ready to take on this dance career career when I was 28. Yes. <laughs> I think the universe or God or the higher power, whatever you want to call it, gives you things when you're ready. Yes. And so, like, you know, I'm very ambitious. Um, you know, if you speak to anyone around me, I'm, I'm a go-getter. And, you know, I have all these goals and visions that, you know, I want to achieve. And and, and sometimes I do become very impatient. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but I also know, you know, if I keep working at it, that they will come at the right time when it when it's perfect. There's definitely been a lot of philosophy that's opened up and and now it's interesting enough giving back is a really big theme in my life. Love it. And the giving back I feel like goes in in two ways. One is yes, my my wheelchair dance Infinite Flow, my wheelchair dance company. Just long story short, I was not really comfortable really sharing, you know, my story as I did today and into more detail um, until maybe about two years ago. Oh, wow. And um, the reason why is I've had a, a couple of incidents in which I've shared my story publicly a few years ago. And literally, you know, as I'm talking about my paralysis, I, I feel the trauma again. Oh, Okay. I feel like, you know, the whole thing is going to happen again, right in front of me, right there, right now. And it just got too much. One time I I spoke at a big fundraiser for a boy who had just become paralyzed from from a baseball accident. And after giving a speech about what I went through, it it took me a whole month to get over the fact that I'm okay. So after that, I said, okay, no more sharing, no more you know, we need, we can forget about this. This is not part of my life. Let's just leave it to the side. And then, um, interesting enough, I was watching Dancing with the Stars, and they used to have 
these special guest segments called the AT&T Spotlight Performances. And here they featured like an inspirational dancer. So the first one I saw was um, a girl who had overcome cancer. And I think she was like 16 or 17. And she's well and dancing her heart out. Um, another story was about a boy who raised um, college funds in the New York subways tapping. Huh. Another story was a half-blind ballerina who I think got a scholarship to Juilliard or I can't remember what the exact, but, you know, she was beautiful. And, you know, but, like, they would present these, like, five-minute segments, you know, documentary style, ending with a performance on Dancing with the Stars live. And I would be crying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, and and it was very inspiring and motivating and that was actually when I said there's a power to storytelling yes maybe my story can inspire and touch someone else's life too and that was actually when I actually went to my website and added a one-line thing to my bio saying that I was diagnosed with spinal cord infarction had overcome paralysis and dancing today I added like a one-line thing and then started to share my story a little bit more with my dance students with the people around me then sooner or later I you know at some of the corporate events and private parties I got I got hired to dance at occasionally my client would ask me to speak for a few minutes tying it into, into whatever theme they had going on. Okay. And hearing the response from everyone made me go, okay, wow, you know, people are really inspired by, you know, what I had gone through. Yeah. For me, it's been kind of like a go, 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 go situation. So sometimes like, like it was actually when I started to hear people's reactions or other people's stories that I realized, okay, this is, this is a big deal here. And then as I shared my story more, that was when I started to wonder, okay, great. Okay. I was rejected as a ballerina, became paralyzed. Now I'm on my feet. I'm dancing professionally as a ballroom dancer. Great. But what about, what if I didn't recover from paralysis? What about the people that still can't walk? What yeah. are they now? Yeah. And I started, it started bothering me. Then I went into another little phase of, okay, I don't want to share my story anymore. This is uncomfortable. And then that was actually when I discovered wheelchair dancing and said, oh my gosh, there's people who can't walk dancing in their wheelchairs. Yeah. And realizing that the industry was very underdeveloped at least in this country, that was when I said, okay, I think I need to stand up and do something here. That's how Infinite Flow came out. Came out. Oh, that's amazing. And I love that. I mean, I've heard that the secret to living is giving. And it really does, at least in my experience, it fills me up when I'm in service rather than when I'm going after my own agenda. There have been times, I mean, specifically to the wheelchair, I mean, I've danced with a few people in wheelchairs, whether socially at a country bar, and I can't tell you the joy that it gives both of us as we're as we're both appreciating, you know, the fact that they're doing something that maybe they thought they couldn't do. I mean, it's just, it's so inspiring. I can only imagine what you get to experience every day. That in and of itself is so powerful. And just the act of giving, whether it's community service or being able to help people in our jobs, it's so powerful to fill people up 
because it fills us up. And I think it it just, it's a different, I talk about it in my book, Don't Settle, about does your job fill you up or does it drain you? And that's a great way to figure out, you know, is this something you can sustain or not? So I love the fact that your thoughts started to focus out on other people and that's when it really started to all come together, it sounds like. Yes, it, it does. And I, I've gotten to the point that I can't see the chair anymore and I just see a person. That's one thing that I, you know, prior to wheelchair dancing, one great thing about partner dance, and I'm sure you, you've experienced this too, is it breaks the barriers between age, race, now even ability. It's just amazing how, um, I mean, I honestly think if the world danced partner dance rather yeah. <laughs> <It's a> war <laughs> yeah yeah there is a uh, I don't know if you've heard of Pierre Dulane is that a name that you're familiar with no I haven't heard of him he's the founder of this great national organization called dancing classrooms and it's an organization that teaches fifth graders how to ballroom dance over a uh, period of 10 weeks at school. Oh, awesome. It's around the country. I've um, volunteered as a judge for their competitions um, here in LA a few times. And um, Pierre is originally from um, Israel. Okay. And the movies take the lead and also the documentary film, uh, Mad Hot Ballroom or Baseball for Dancing Classrooms. Okay. Um, but he made a third documentary called Dancing in Jaffa. Hmm. And Jaffa's the town. Jaffa's where he's from in Israel. And what he did was he went back to his country. He had the two enemies, the Jewish versus the um, Arabs, dance together fifth graders and I guess these children go to different schools okay he puts these children together even though they're enemies as a way of you know creating peace so that's one thing that we're really you know I think with my company to really break those barriers and to display disability in a cool hip way maybe I should say to kind of break the stereotype of the dis you know the disabled person can't do anything you know, and say, no, there's, they've got, you know, just because they have a disability doesn't mean that they're limited in what they can do. Absolutely so. not. Yeah, that's, that's a lesson I learn over and over again is how partner dancing melts away all my judgments of people, you know, the ones that I look at, and I'm like, I, I don't know if that person would be a good dancer. Like, that's just my first not even a legitimate thought. That's my intuition or, you know, some kind of a subconscious judgment. And it turns out some of those people, are the best leaders or the best followers that I had no idea. And it just, it's slowly become something that I can't even judge people anymore because I'm like, they could be amazing. Like I have no ground to really judge anyone based on the outside cover. And that's been a beautiful gift that I've gotten from dance that I continue to get. And I'm sure you get to experience that as well. I love being a part of it. And I love what you're doing with it, too. It's, it's so inspiring. Thank you. Well, let me ask you a couple. We're kind of getting to our last bit here. So, gosh, I've just been so enwrapped in your story that I'm kind of coming back out of it. But it's, it's incredible. Who would you say is someone that inspires you? There's a lot of people that inspire me. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I feel like you inspire me, Molly. Like, seriously, um, you really do. Um, I, you know, like I, I love the fact that you are doing this podcast of um, interviewing 
people with you know great stories and and sharing them and I would say there's a lot of, there's oh my god Molly I don't know there's so many people <laughs> that inspire me um one person that has you know over the over the last year really inspired me is actually my wheelchair dance partner Adelpho mm. um you know someone that I about a year ago, this was prior to Infinite Flow, and when I said made a commitment that I was going to do something with wheelchair dancing, and okay, there's something here for me. I've got to figure it out, and I've got to train, and I've got to, you know, just start doing this. And that was actually when I was searching for a wheelchair dance partner, and I was I knew that I was not going to find a professional wheelchair dancer. Sure, I I would. You know, I wanted to find uh, a wheelchair user who was already active in their lifestyle and was willing to take on a new challenge. So I found Adelpo, who was a bodybuilder, a nutritional consultant, very, you know, active, got a six pack. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know he had absolutely no idea what he was going to get into with his ball. <laughs> absolutely. No, he didn't. You know, he didn't know how to count music. He you know, had never done any partner dancing prior to his injury 10 years ago. And then I said, okay, just, just trust me, just, just follow me. You know, I need someone that I can go out and do some demonstrations and, you know, and you know, at the same time, you know, I, again, being a new wheelchair dance instructor too, I, I, I needed a partner that I can figure out moves and train and etc. So he's been on this journey with me for about a year by living 40 miles away and not knowing exactly where I was really headed. He just kind of stuck with me. At first, you know, I think he was very green to dancing or expressing. And, you know, being a bodybuilder, he was used to getting attention in front of a large audience. So I didn't have yeah. to worry stage fright. Good. <laughs> <laughs> we all go through that, don't we, Molly? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but now it's like he wants it. And there's like fire inside of his eyes. And, and it's been very interesting seeing his growth, I should say. I can tell that dancing's made a difference in his life. And that makes me happy that there's, there's, I've made a difference in his life. And, and then also his career now, too. And he's pushed my buttons, gotten me out of the house to go practice because he had time. Or, you know, I mean, so it, it's, it's, it's something that um, just over the months that I, I have a lot of respect. And he's definitely been, I'm like, okay, now that he wants that wants to make this into his career too, I've got to work so yeah. that flow <laughs> takes off too. There's a lot of people that inspire me. Every single student, every single dancer, dance partner, friend that has come into my life, especially over the last couple years, has inspired me in some sort of way. I think um, what inspires me is when, when you see someone go after something from their own heart, and it, it not necessarily dancing too. Um, right, right. And when you see that fire, when they go for it, like it just, it's just very inspiring. I think it takes a lot of courage to step into dance class altogether as an adult, mm -hmm. um, whether you're in a wheelchair or not. I think it takes a lot of courage to step into a performance. I think it takes a lot of courage to go out social dancing. <laughs> Absolutely. And see students, you know, a lot of students who mo most most of my students wheelchair or not have started with me or like they came to me very early on in their dance journey and, you know, seeing their growth and seeing how they've 
not taking dancing just as dancing, but as a way of building their also social lives and building their community. Community, you know, has been very inspiring. Yeah, I mean, I get, a, I feel like I get a lot more, a lot of inspiration from just the, you know, the people around me. And yeah, when I, when I do see such, when I do see cases like myself, in which you see that someone is giving back you know, on a larger scale through their own experience. Um, of something that they had gone through. It's phenomenal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of my mission is just to help, and especially with this podcast, to expose my listeners to people who are following that passion, like you said, and whatever it is that lights them up to show that that's possible and that, you know, life in automatic isn't necessarily our only choice, that we have a choice to switch it up and then go after something that we really care about and how that can happen and and how that blesses other people and why it's worth the time and the effort and the struggle and everything that we go through and that you've gone through to become and to be able to do and give what you do. So that to me is inspiring too. And I love that everyone can inspire each other. It's not, you don't have to have a certain title or be in a certain position to have that effect on someone, which I love. Before my last two questions, let's do a little logistics. And where can people find you online and how can they connect with you best? So I have two websites. One of them is my personal website. It's www.marissahamamoto.com. And and that's kind of like my hub website. Okay, I'll put uh, these in the show notes too. And for Infinite Flow, a wheelchair dance company, um, you can go to infiniteflowdance.org and you can find information and updates about our company there. For sure, we are being a new nonprofit, um, having launched in January, getting 501c3 status in April. We need a lot of help (laughs) in different ways. Uh, You know, funding is a pretty big issue in our company right now, you know, trying to get get it off, um, but also volunteers and we, we need help in different ways. Let's just sum it up that like that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if you like information or just want to follow us or help us or support us in any way, um, just feel free to contact me. Awesome. And is there a specific portal through which they can go to donate to your, to Infinite Flow? Yes. If you go to our website, www.infiniteflowdance.org, you will find a pretty big donate button. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good. Awesome. Well, it's, it's a worthy cause for sure. So I know that it's, you know, when we add value to other people, it's, it's only right that it comes back. I trust that it will, it will have its support that it needs. All right. And my last two questions for you, what are you most grateful for today? I am grateful to be doing what I love to do and being surrounded by some amazing people. I'm very, very grateful to be dancing, to be living and giving dancing, and to be able to do that with an amazing family and community. I love that. And to finish it off, what is your definition of living your dance? It's about going after what you want without hesitation and about claiming that destiny that you already had. I'm getting like philosophical in my head here. Go for (laughs) it. Go for it. 
I, I truly believe we all deserve to dance. We all can dance. And that dance may not necessarily mean like dancing, dancing to you. It might be something else. But we all deserve to live our life to the fullest. I think living the dance is that you really take action to make that dance happen, that you appreciate each little bit of your journey along your way. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Marissa, for living your dance and for being on the show today. I I have no doubt that your story is blessing so many people, and I hope that being able to share it with my listeners will bless them too. So thanks again for your time and for your journey and for sharing it with us today. Yeah, thank you, Molly. Oh, this is awesome. I'm so excited to get this out there. Hey guys, thanks again for tuning in and listening today. I really appreciate everyone who comes in and shares this with me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and got some nuggets of wisdom or new insights out of it. I'm also really looking forward to bringing you more episodes and you can help me by liking, sharing, leaving a review, telling your friends about the show, all of the above. And be sure to stay tuned to my posts on social media Or you can also sign up on my website, mollyking.com, for direct updates about my upcoming books. My first book, Don't Settle, is currently available in ebook and Kindle format on Amazon and my website, mollyking.com. But soon, it'll be available in paperback. So stay tuned for that. And my next book, called Live Your Dance, will also be a collection of wisdom and good nuggets from the show plus some exclusive content, and I'll also be sharing some of my own insights from years of living my own dance. That'll be available later this year in 2016, so there's a lot to look forward to. Thank you again for being here. I'll sign off now, but until next time, be sure to live your dance.